Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Kristen and Lucas, uh, Jennifer and Julia, uh, Finney. Great to have Julia back from college and on the violin. Uh, let's open our Bibles to Genesis 1, and if you have a prayer slip or visitor slip, we would love to get them from you. And let's open our Bibles as we look at this subject uh, this morning. Um, what is a man? What is a woman? Why does it matter? Quite frankly, I was hoping to have mononucleosis this morning and let Jared do this. But um, it's my assignment, and so we'll cinch up our belt and give it our best. Who would have imagined that our country and the nations of the world, for that matter, would ever be confused over the distinction between a man and a woman? For many of us, this, this is one of the most recognizable and confirmable um, realities of life. Who could, could have envisioned that we as a culture could be at a place uh, where we could not answer the basic question, what is a man or what is a woman? And I don't, that's not an exaggeration. We watched the Supreme Court confirmation hearing where the interviewee who's now on the Supreme Court would not answer the question, what is a woman? However, this is precisely where we are, and this chaos has become encased in the law of the land with unsustainable repercussions in every stream of life. As far as political gains and cultural acceptance, um, the LGBTQ plus movement, of which transgenderism is a part, could be one of the greatest success stories in history because it has achieved virtually every goal on its agenda. But this movement is nothing more than human autonomy flaunting itself in the most outrageous display of hubris. And the plus sign at the end of the abbreviations means there's more to come, it's not over. One study put out by Reuters noted that about 0.5% of all US adults are some 1.3 million people and about 1.4% of youth between 13 and 17, so about 1.6 million identify as transgender, where they claim to have a, a different gender identity than the sex they were assigned at birth. An increasing number of voices are shouting that our gender identity and expression do not have to align with our God-given biological sex. How should the church assess and confront uh, the transgender storm that is shaking our society. When you read reports like the American Psychological Association defining sex this way, it is a person's biological status that is typical, typically categorized as male and female and intersex and is identified by sex chromosomes, gonads, internal sex organs, and external genitalia. In contrast, the a APA states that the gender refers to attitudes, feelings, and behaviors that are a given culture asso uh, associates with a person's biological sex, i.e. boys play with trucks and swords and girls play with dolls, i.e. And so while one's biological sex is fixed by nature, this definition treats gender as a culturally bound category in their view so that there is a variation among cultures. So there is a need, according to the APA and others, to distinguish between biological sex and gender identity, male, female, and transgender. 
So this movement is massive and the church, we just can't ignore it. I would, uh, honestly, it's really picked up steam in the last 10 years, the last three in particular, and I'd rather talk about anything other than this this morning. But it's thrust upon us in so many ways. What is our response? What is our hope? How should we think about this, even as it impacts our families, our friends, and our community? In 2013, California became the first state to require public schools to allow students to use the bathrooms and play on sports teams that correspond with their personal gender identity. Ten years of chaos with many going to the polls recently to put a stop to it with state through state legislatures. We've been forced to change referring to a man like Bruce Jenner and calling him Caitlin, who was touted as the woman of the year in 2015 by Glamour magazine. In Canada, the sex education curriculum for eighth graders presents six different genders and four options of sexual orientation. Male, female, two-spirited, what? Two-spirited, transgender, transsexual, or intersex. And if you don't know what they're talking about, it's your fault. They would lead you to believe. Last fall, Lincoln, Nebraska, in the heartland. The Lincoln, Nebraska public school system began training its teachers in how to create a gender neutral or gender inclusive environment in their classrooms with these such tips as, don't use phrases like boys or girls, God forbid. If you must reference gender, say boys, girls, both or neither. Can you imagine saying that in the course of classroom instruction? Another major development in this consuming cultural chaos is the development among Gen Z girls and young women uh, born um, 1997 to 2012, ages 11 through 26. John Stone Street Breakpoint podcast, uh, very helpful in saying, we all must as individuals, families, and a society reckon with why so many girls, and he was addressing the surge of these Gen Z girls no longer wanting to be female, which is at odds with other generations in recent days. Why so many girls no longer want to be girls, especially considering the things that form the bulk of Gen Z's information diet, social media, television, movies, magazines, apps, and pornography. Is it any wonder that so many girls think that the best way not to be sexualized is not to be female? This generation of young women needs to see that the prevailing wisdom about who they are is dangerous nonsense in the cultural realm. Even more, they will need a better vision, one big enough to ground the inherent dignity shared by all human beings, male and female, and all of human history, only the vision of the Imago Dei created in the image of God can pull that off. We are created by God in his image. He created you and knitted you together in your mother's womb. And it was clear who you were when you came forth from your mother. Uh, this all affects um, with major concerns over 
just the normal course of life over privacy and bathrooms and fairness in sports and language at the office? Am I going to be forced to use pronouns that are bearing false witness? Because it's not reality. We can't minimize the overwhelming concerns about men entering women's spaces. That's not transphobic, that's common sense. So this morning, our goal is simple and consistent. We're gonna survey the scripture, seek to bring out some principles to apply to this issue, and may God give us uh, wisdom and courage in giving a hope of the reason for our redemption in Christ. So we begin in Genesis. And my first thought would be, number one, we can expect chaos when we leave God's design. If you're following on your insert, which I would encourage you to do, uh, we can expect chaos when we leave God's design. As followers of Jesus Christ, our worldview is guided by the authority of Scripture. So often in cultural conversations, when we stand upon scriptural truth, often that's dismissed out of hand. We know that. But nevertheless, we're going to argue on what God has said. We're going to stand there. And in Genesis 1, we read in creation that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. In other words, of all the things created in this world and universe, human beings represent what God is like in a way that no other creature Uh, can come close to. Male and female, he created them. Henry Morris in his classic commentary, the Genesis record wrote, a believing understanding of the book of Genesis is a prerequisite to our understanding of God and his meaning for your life and mine. In Genesis, we learn how the universe came into being, how human beings were created. Uh, We learn about the Sabbath and about marriage and about sin and about sacrifice and salvation. We learn about the family and civilization and government and nations and God's people, Israel, from whom would come the Messiah. Sex and gender are placed, as we read in Genesis, in the binary meaning and that there are two and only two. And there are differing personalities and traits within the binary, we understand that, but there are only two. And one sex is fixed in the binary of male and female. So you can't uh, will yourself out of it. That's the delusion. There may be inner confliction, we're not denying that. We're just saying that personal autonomy doesn't get to determine who you are in that way. We were created male and female. You can't determine your own gender. What is a man, you ask? A male human being with a fixed chromosome uh, distinctive. Uh, Men have an X, one X and one Y chromosome. Females have two X chromosomes. And at the heart of the transgender and redefinitions of human sexuality is a rejection of the biblical understanding that God created man and woman from a godly pattern for a creational purpose. That God said, be fruitful and multiply. How could they be fruitful? Well, there was a a corresponding difference that God established in creation to where male and female coming together would produce children. 
Transgenderism emerges from a, a political rejection, really, of the creation ordinance that God said, that says God made human beings male and female. So their biological sex and not their internal feelings determines their maleness and female, femaleness. Transgenderism argues that our in, internal sense of self is what makes us men or women. So in Genesis 3, as we're looking at creation, that God created them male and female, I, I, I think we need to take into account as we look at Genesis 3, the devastating effects of the fall. Because this is as, as the source of this confusion and chaos. I, I think we minimize the fall. The fall into sin. The first sin, Adam and Eve. I think largely... People don't grasp the big picture of redemption and hope found in Jesus Christ because uh, we minimize the fact that we are broken and flawed and indeed sinners. And so the fall and the catastrophic impact of sin on us all, all creation groans at present under sin. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God and took of the fruit, it catapulted the human race into a fall that has continued into this day. Sin is the great destroyer of life. It disrupts every human relationship. It's behind every broken marriage, every abusive home, every shattered friendship, every evil thought, every evil word, every evil deed, every good deed undone, every good word unsaid can be attributed to what happened in the garden and how it's manifested itself millions of times over. By a by nature, we are sinners, and by choice, we demonstrate that. Into such a world, God sent forth His Son, Jesus Christ. He's the redeemer of a fallen race. That means those, regardless of what bent or struggle uh, you may face, there's hope in your life uh, because of what Christ has done. He's the redeemer of broken souls. And that is why he came. He's the true hope giver. I think it's interesting that the shortest verse um, attributed to Jesus is that he wept. Jesus wept. And he wept at the funeral of Lazarus and um, no doubt mourned his friend, but he would call him back from the dead in just a few moments. So why was he weeping at the tomb of Lazarus? Well, as he saw... Mary and Martha weeping, and he saw the Jews weeping. It says that he wept. And I believe the answer to that question is because he saw the devastating effects of sin on human beings, namely that sin brings death, and it broke his heart. He wept at the devastation that it brings. And so with that, we come into the subject. I, in trying to process the chaos of it, um, and how it's just rolled out with great vengeance in the last 10 years. I was helped greatly this week by an article in, from Ligonier Ministry from Rosaria Butterfield entitled, What is Transgenderism? You can access it online, Rosaria Butterfield, who was a former tenured professor at Syracuse, I believe, and a practicing lesbian who was converted to Christ through the faithful witness of a pastor 
who just spoke truth to her and the truth uh, gripped her heart and she repented of her sins and is now married to a pastor and has children and has become quite uh, a help to many of us um, in the Christian community. She's been a faithful witness. And I'll quote her many times this morning uh, from that article and other writings. She has given the church a clear witness on this issue as she writes out of her own story. Butterfield said something very profound in referring to the changes Christ brought to her life. She said, I wasn't saved out of homosexuality. I was saved out of unbelief. That's a critical statement. All of us are born sinners. All of us struggle with bents of sinning. And Jesus Christ is what we need most. We're all born sinners and therefore all of us need a new birth. We don't say, get get yourself fixed and then come to Jesus. We say, come to Jesus and he he will start to put you together again. And so I would want to say there is no place I would rather someone struggling with same-sex attraction or transgender bents or pulls to be than in this congregation right now hearing the word of God. This is where I want you to be. While the subject matter is difficult, while I'm obligated to expound the truth of Scripture clearly, that that doesn't put at odds, we're glad you're here. Because our only hope, you, myself, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Butterfield continues, ultimately that feeling of disconnect between one's body and one's sense of gender are a consequence of the fall and its effects on our hearts, on our minds, and our bodies. In some cases, the feeling is driven chiefly by a biological problem related to genetics or hormones. And from a biblical perspective, someone with a severe hormonal imbalance or a chromosomal uh, abnormality has a physical health problem, not an identity problem. Godly health for the gender dysphoric person includes biblical counseling and potentially medical treatments that restore normative hormonal balance. Godly support for the gender dysphoric, those who are internally conflicted over these things, understands medical problems as a part of the fall of man, and such trials can be serious, difficult, and lifelong. We would want to be compassionate. Notice with me, secondly, as we try to navigate the chaos, we're to pursue clarity Three C's here, clarity, conviction, and courage. This is a similar outline that Alex and I used recently on a podcast, which will be a supplement to what he presented in March and what I'm presenting here this morning, and that's available on the web uh, for you to access on transgenderism. We're to pursue clarity, conviction, and courage through the lens of Scripture and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So I want to connect some spiritual dots. We started in the foundation in Genesis. I want to kind of leap over into Deuteronomy 22.5 for a minute. Where in the law of Moses, Deuteronomy 22.5, I'll move quickly. I've put them in the insert if you want to look them up later. But if you're able to turn, you could read with me that a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, why would Moses be inspired to include this in the law of God? 
I know what some are saying right now. You've gone into the law of Moses. There's some bizarre things in there, like don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. Don't uh, 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 use uh, different fibers to make um, a garment and uh, don't plant in a certain way. It just seems like you're cherry picking here now with regard to this. Well, not really, because in understanding the law and the instruction of the law of Moses, we don't say it doesn't matter anymore. We, Jesus never taught that. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. And so when we understand the law of Moses to Israel, we understand it in several categories. One, there was a ceremonial law that Israel was to observe. And many of these laws fit into that category. Secondly, there was a civil law where, that would govern them as a nation. God gave it to them in order to guide their national witness uh, under the old covenant. And, and there's a third aspect of this law, and that is the moral law, which transcends Israel and will be true forever. We read of it in the, in the Ten Commandments where uh, you shall not kill. That's a moral directive, a moral command that this should not be named among you. You shall not commit adultery. That transcends Israel's um, uh, boundaries and is God's law forever. And we read that also in the New Testament. These things are reaffirmed. So when I look at this statement in Deuteronomy 22.5, God is giving an, a, a directive here on the way men and women are to conduct themselves in a way that is culturally consistent with how God has created them. And to step outside of that and to embrace a different identity is not, is really an act of rebellion with regard to the way God has created you. We've mentioned gender dysphoria and we, we know that that is a medical condition. We know some struggle with that. And I would just behold in contrast, early onset gender dysphoria involves someone's distress over their sex that begins early in childhood, usually between the ages of two and four. Only a small number of children with gender dysphoria will continue to have symptoms in later adolescence and adulthood. Alex pointed out, and this was so staggering in his presentation in March, was that a vast majority, 80 to 95%, I think was the term or the percentage of those who struggle with gender confusion and difficulties will work through that in their adolescence if they don't act on the, on the, on the, on the surgeries. So that, that is a, a great incentive for the people of God to come alongside and offer truth and support and help. But I think what you have in Gen Z and other cultural aspects of, uh, that we're facing now is a rapid onset gender dysphoria where often this is fueled by social media and peers and internet influencers. Not so much internal anguish, it's just fueled and it's become popular to say such. So we are to represent ourselves in a way that's consistent with how we are born. That's the point of Deuteronomy 22.5. And to play any other kind of message or image, uh, God says he's against it in the strongest terms possible. Turn with me to Romans 1. Romans 1. 
Romans 1, we see the free fall of humanity. Paul's argument in Romans 1 through 3 is really to create, uh, to establish the universal guilt of humanity under sin. And that when we ignore God and um, dismiss what he has said, it says that God gives us over. And picking up in verse 27, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their reward. And since they did not see fit, this is Romans 1, 28, to acknowledge God, to acknowledge him, his, his revelation, his truth. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. And maybe you're saying, well, I thought you were talking about transgender. I am. What does that have to do with this passage? Well, let's continue on in verse 29. They were all filled. They are full of envy. Let me just stop there. Notice that in verse 29, about halfway through. They're all full of envy boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithful, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Is that not timeless? Again, Rosaria Butterfield, transgenderism from the perspective of Scripture is really related to the sin of envy, which is mentioned in verse 29. Specifically, transgenderism is at root sinful envy of the sexual anatomy of another. Proverbs speaks of the ugliness of of envy. A, a stone is heavy and the sand weighty, but a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who can stand before envy? And I think we see that the passion behind this movement with, with regard to this observation. Envy, biblically speaking, is an obsession, a driving passion that insatiably drives a person to desire another's gifts possessions, achievement, or sexual anatomy in the case of transgenderism. Butterfield concludes by saying a, transition, a transgender identity makes a mockery of both the word of God and Jesus Christ our Savior. It's a giving over. So what happens when we're given over to something like that? The biblical message is that you and I are to repent of it. Easier said than done. Repentance is a gift of, of God but it is extended in the hope of Jesus Christ and to develop a contentment in the Lord. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So if I'm dealing with great confliction in my heart over how God has created me, I need to come to terms with a spirit of envy, a discontentment, which leaves me open and susceptible to all sorts of problems. A Christian must learn how to be content with God even while being unsatisfied in the world, either because of what, what the world has denied us or what original sin has given to us. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Paul mentions a list of sins here in this section 
Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves or greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. And the idea here is he's giving a, a cluster of sins by saying, if, if you're engaged in these things and pursuing these things, that's at odds at what it means to be a Christian. And then he says of the Corinthian congregation, such were some of you. Some of you were just like that. But what happened? You were changed. You were washed. You were redeemed in the blood of Jesus Christ and saved. He says in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that you're not your own? You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. Glorify God with your bodies. What body? The body you were created and that you have. Yes, there's some, um, uh, there, yes, there are, are anomalies. Yes, there are things to, to be considered. But in the binary, you were created male or female. Pursue how God has created you and express that in ways that speak to your maleness and your femininity. One more scripture as we co- connect the dots. I want to look at Revelation 22. Maybe you're saying, what in the world does that have to do with the subject at hand? It's because one of the ways Satan would seek to divide is by dividing believers on the matter of what is true Christianity, what is true Christian behavior. In this closing chapter of the Bible, last chapter of the Bible, It says in verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. And here he's speaking of the new Jerusalem. He's speaking of the eternal state. He's speaking of those who are in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. Then he says, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. That sounds pretty serious. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. This is one of many statements in the Bible that reject universalism. This is one of many statements in the Bible that speaks about perishing in your sins and lostness. And shouldn't it be the the hope of every church to preach the gospel in such a way that men and women, fellow sinners, high and low, rich or poor, whatever situation you're in, would, would enter by the narrow gate and enter into eternal life? I say absolutely. That is the hope of the gospel, that it would find success in your heart this morning and would be um, powerful in our community and everyone that we come across. So here's what I want to say on this. I was challenged by the words of one faithful brother who said, you cannot be ensnared in a sinful sexual lifestyle. Whether it's adultery, whether it's fornication, whether it's homosexuality, whether it's transgenderism, and at the same time claim that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. There I said it. You you can't do that on biblical grounds. Those who participate in such a thing, Paul says, shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Those who embrace such a thing are outside the walls of heaven. 
You cannot be involved in rejecting God's creative design for you and seeking to be something other than you've been created and at the same time say that Jesus Christ is your Lord, your Savior, and your hope. You cannot be bought into the the culture of death that so permeates our, our country and at the same time say, my agenda is the kingdom of God. So I hold up the gospel, I hold up biblical truth and urge you to form your thoughts about this issue and everything else on the light of scripture. I close with one other point and that is a fourth C. We're not without compassion as this world reels from the effects of the fall. One of my favorite chapters in the gospel is Matthew 9. And it seems to be one day in the life of Jesus, he um, forgives a man of his sins in the first of the chapter and uh, multiple miracles. He casts out a demon. And then Matthew includes this kind of catch-all summary of Jesus's life. And he says, uh, Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Do you think there's something in your life that's too heavy for him to heal? Do you feel like there's something too great in your life that he can't change your heart? His whole public ministry went on display that, that he has the power to do that. And there are millions in the wake of his grace who have been healed. When he saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Do you really think that there is some human problem or dysfunction that is beyond Christ's compassion? Do you think there is some human affront that caught him off guard? The transgender issue is about real people created in God's image. So what does the Bible have to say to those who feel like exiles in their own bodies? And what do we as believers say to people we love if they transition to a different gender identity? Well, I think there is some application here and let me just hang it on several thoughts. You, you need to be prepared for the conversation. Um, that's why we've made resources available to you because some of you will be faced with a situation and maybe have already, we're in the workplace, you're, you're, you're being required to use pronouns that defy reality. And you've got a conscience issue about it because it's lying. That's not a her, that's a him. And while there may be flexibility on other things like names and so forth, which can be culturally irrelevant, pronouns have meaning. And that's the answer really to, why don't you just let people do what they want to do? And the answer is because truth's at stake. We care about the truth. And what they're doing has not been neutral. It has been thrust in the face of people this nation, this world, are, 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 are getting the impact of this movement in every area of life. And so it's time for you to prepare. How are you gonna respond at the family gathering when you have a relative who's 
um, and quote unquote in the midst of some transition and you're concerned about your children and h- how they view male, maleness and femaleness in a biblical way, how, how are you going to respond to that? I pray that God would give us courage to be able to speak with compassion and truth and conviction. That's what is needed. Not only on this issue, but every issue in the Christian life. We will need wisdom, we will need courage, we will need conviction, so we're not blown away in the wind, sitting ducks to this agenda. I think that you need to be really in tune with regard to public education. And there's lots of freedom in the in this body about the pursuit of educational choices, but just know they're they're training they're in indoctrination camps. They're training centers for this agenda. Are you in tune with that? Are you listening to that? Are you being able to respond to that and engage your children with it? If we're not holding up a warning sign, you hear it enough like the battering ram hitting a gate, it's gonna knock, it's gonna be opened up. To be sensitive to these things, speaking the truth, preparing, responding, serving, Some Christian leaders wisely are urging local churches to be ready to receive the refugees from the sexual revolution. You have a sex change surgery. It's not like you can say, my bad. I'll get my reversal reversed. You can only carve on the human body so much. And so what do you... What will be our response to those who are in the fallout of this, who've gone through all of the treatments and the surgeries and nevertheless find themselves in a pew next to us? We point them to the living God who saved us, right? When the promise of gender fluidity doesn't deserve the happiness or doesn't deliver the happiness people seek, will our church be ready to receive them with compassion? Anybody who wants to seek the Lord is welcome here, but often that's not the case. Often the case is, I'm this way, you need to affirm the way I am, and if you don't, you're a bigot. So yeah, we'll forever be in disagreement with that mindset. But for those who sense their need for God, their need for Christ, and want to seek him with all their heart, we want to help with that ministry and in that see the spirit of Jesus and would pray for repentance to come. Last, lastly, I would just quote Butterfield, Rosaria Butterfield. We must learn to be content in God and unsatisfied in the world as we define our identity in light of scripture alone, which takes us to Christ, who is our only mediator, only redeemer, and only savior. And he is the one we hold forth, the one who came from heaven to earth, died on the cross, lived a sinless life to pay a substitutionary death for our sins and rose again from the dead. He's our living hope and to him we look and he's the reason we close the service in this way. If God is moving in your heart, if you're in need of prayer, if you're in need of Christ, we, we hold him up to you. As we sing, if there are needs on your heart, you come. Our, our team is gonna come. I wanna close in prayer. Father, as we take a look at this um, surging movement in our culture, I pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom, you would give us clarity and conviction and courage 
so that we could speak truth in the face of the chaos. We're not naive to think that this won't be costly in so many ways, but I pray that we would be led by your spirit and that we would seek your, your approval in everything we do. Help, we, help us to be mighty and showing your love and compassion and help us, Lord, to walk in humility before you. As we close out the service, may we do so in complete allegiance uh, to your name, to your glory and your call on our life. In Christ's name we pray, amen.